several months ago now, we were all uh, witness to the tsunami that uh, struck northern Japan. And it was precipitated by natural force of the Earth's movement, and it wrecked havoc on hundreds of thousands of people's lives. So imagine if you lived in northern Japan at that time. You're going about your life, doing what you do that's so familiar, so routine, so habitual, so comfortable, having made for yourself the life that you can, for your family and a career, and putting aside what you can for resources for a rainy day. And in fact, the whole source of your meaning and purpose and security and happiness in life is, well, how you live. And then on a day like any other day, at midday, there's a tremor and the devastation starts. And everything that you know of your community, of your own physical security, your financial security, the security of your family and friends, your whole village, your whole town, is wiped out. And, of course, you survive. And when the surge, the tidal wave surge, recedes, and you look about, and you see the devastation, and you see the tremendous suffering, and the impact that this has had on you, and everyone else. What could you rely on to offer you a sense of confidence, security, well-being? Another way of asking that question is to ask if caught in that situation when you looked around at all that remained after the surge recedes, who would you hope to see? What kind of person would you want to see recognizing you? What kind of qualities would you hope they would display or exhibit? It's not hard to imagine. We'd, some, we'd want to see someone who was kind and compassionate. Someone who was responsive. Someone who was energetic.
someone who had some kind of understanding, bigger understanding, how to hold all that is happening. Patience would be a virtue. Someone who's generous and can share what they have of knowledge and time, even if no material resources are available. Someone who can approach the situation that we all would now find ourselves in with a balanced mind without getting entangled in feeling victimized or entitled to something better or blaming but someone who could fearlessly look at the conditions that we're all living with and respond out of humility and understanding compassion and then we can see when we when we kind of run that scenario through our mind we can see that these are the very qualities that would allow us to have a sense of well-being a sense of security a sense of even safety a sense of confidence, even in the face of such devastation. Because these are the inner qualities, reliance, stamina, resilience, that are recognized around the world in every culture, within every religion, in every society. These are the qualities of a good human being. And we have them within us. None of us are so depleted, so overwhelmed, or so undeveloped that we don't recognize within ourselves the capacity to act from the place of these qualities of mind. And yet, we don't always act that way. We don't always think that way. We don't always respond that way. And we get entangled in our stories, in our whinging and whining, and our blaming and complaining, and uh, self-pity, and the old poor me. sense of well-being in whatever conditions we're living with is the development of the human resources within our own heart. It is necessary to have a minimum, at least a minimum, of physical security, financial security, mental health, physical health. But above and beyond that, more does not necessarily provide a sense of greater well-being. It is the qualities within the heart that can hold 
the conditions of life and respond wisely. This beauty, this inner beauty that is so apparent from this story and so visible in each other, some of our family, some of our friends, some international figures. is the work that all humans face to become a good human being. Such qualities of mind are not particularly Buddhist, but a good Buddhist would also display them. They're not exclusively Christian but a good Christian would also display that. Or any other religion or spiritual tradition. Hold them as exemplars, as a place, as a way of life to aspire to, really. And yet, so much divides us, separates us, that we judge, compare. And yet as we look around the room, we're all in the same boat. We all have the same conditions to live with, and we all have the same potential. No one is ever going to get ahead of someone else at their expense. rests in our heart. <clears throat> These qualities of a good human being have three characteristics that I want to speak about tonight. They are ennobling, they are compassionate, And they're skillful. What do I mean by that? When I say that these qualities of heart, of a good human being, are ennobling, when we think of nobility, it's kind of an unused word in our culture and in our time. And I don't mean royalty, but I mean true nobility. And what is it that really makes someone or some behavior noble? Is it reaching for the stars and succeeding? Is it being wealthy? Is it being popular? Is it being famous? Is it being powerful? None of those are excluded. the single most defining quality of nobility is humility. We are but a single human being. 
And until we can really acknowledge that fact, that we walk on the face of the earth for a limited period of time, doing what we do, living with the conditions of inevitable suffering, challenge, sickness, aging, and we pass away. And in the course of that journey, everything goes. And yet, if we can acknowledge that, if we can live with the conditions that present themselves, with the understanding that, well, they all go in the end anyway, then it puts us in the right frame of mind to approach this and every situation without hanging on to any expectation, any demands, any self-judgment or fear. This is the way it is. This is the way it is for me, for now. And this is the way it is for you, for now. Can we have the courage to acknowledge that? Can we see, yes, that's right, that's all there is right now. This is it. This body, this mind, this environment. Well, as they say, deal with it. This is it. So often, I find myself and I see others getting entangled in uh, a sense of entitlement. I deserve more. I should have more. You should give me this. I should be, whatever. Life should be easier. That's not very honest, is it? It's not really acknowledging the way it is for me for now. It's complaining, it's whinging, it's whining, it's, it's sometimes blaming. And then we fall into the other end of the spectrum, feeling victimized. Oh, poor me. You know, I'm being treated badly, politically, economically, socially, personally, psychologically, emotionally, and otherwise. <laughs> well, even if that's so, that's the way it is for you, for now. That's it. Can we recognize that? Can we have the courage? Can we say, right, this is it, this is the way it is? With the corollary understanding that no matter how it is, Surge recedes. The way it is now. It can be dealt with. There is a tsunami headed towards each one. 
We don't know why. We don't know when. All we know is it is going to bring instant, irrevocable, unexpected change to our life. It could be a, a kind of a, a medical diagnosis, a prognosis that you get at your next annual exam. It could be a financial tsunami that is if it could get worse. It could be a personal relationship issue. It could be a career collapse. Anything can run through our life like a tsunami. And all that we've relied on, all that we've depended on for our sense of security and happiness and stability washed away. the way it is. Just the humility to say, it's nobody's fault, there's nobody to blame, I didn't do anything wrong, and it can be dealt with. This is rock bottom humanity 101. And I don't mean to be cynical when I say we can deal with it. we know this before the tsunami strikes, we can live with confidence and clarity and a sense of well-being even in the face of inevitable and overwhelming change. Change does not wash away this inner beauty. It is a quality that we develop, or these are qualities that we develop, and the sense of well-being pervades our life. We don't have to go seek trouble and difficulty. And as we become more attuned to the way things are, we see plenty. But we also want to be careful not to uh, fall into being overwhelmed in a sense of uh, powerlessness. Because we have tremendous amount of power. But the power we have is in our heart to withstand, to endure, and to respond with resilience and creativity. So this first quality of the inner, the first characteristic of the inner qualities of beauty is ennobling. They're all ennobling. They all reach deep into the roots of what it means to be a human being, that we have this potential. The second um, characteristic of all of these qualities of inner beauty is that they are responsive to suffering. They are compassionate. Being generous, of course, we understand it comes from a place of seeing a need, responding in a way that's compassionate to relieve the suffering of a need. Being patient, we can see here's a situation that's just trying, it's provoking, it's overwhelming. 
And rather than adding fuel to the fire by our own hysterical and dramatic <coughs> entanglement, we can step back, take a look, and see that what the situation needs most right now, and what we in that situation need most right now, is calm, clear patience. Patience is not inactivity. Patience is being engaged of demand. Speaking and acting with integrity, aligned with your own and others' best interests. This is compassionate to ourself, to others. Because to live a life of walking your talk is a life of integrity. And it means that we are unwilling to collude in a life of deception. <coughs> I'm not going to present myself otherwise. I'm not going to expect you to be otherwise. But we live in a culture that condones, accepts, expects, rewards deception. It is a powerful conditioning to live in our society, to try to live a life of integrity. You have to go against the cultural stream. And yet, when we meet, when we spend time with, or when we ourselves come from that place of a deep commitment to live a life of integrity, there is a tremendous strength and empowerment and a sense of well-being within us and among us in any situation. Who can do this for you except yourself? Who can create this environment within your life of an enduring sense of well-being, except you. Each one of us are responsible for our own niche in the world. There are many ways to see compassion in action. There are many ways to display or to come from a place of compassion and to respond to the world. A few years ago, a mini tsunami came through my life. I was walking down the street in Portland, Oregon, and there's a tremendous amount of homeless people, <coughs> panhandlers, uh, people that are living on the street in poverty and rags begging. And the tsunami in my life was I recognized I was sometimes fearful of them, often critical of them, or dismissive of them, or even blaming them for their own action. I would go out of my way to avoid them. I would harden my heart to walk by without seeing them try to not see them. Trying to live in denial of, not them, 
my own reactivity. This is suffering. It's not their suffering. This is my suffering. An unwillingness to acknowledge this is the way it is right now for me. Awareness practice is coming out of denial. And it's not always pleasant. Lest you think that the spiritual path is all light and love and peace and happiness, I'm here to disillusion you. <laughs> because our suffering is within our own heart. When we see our own conditioned reactivity, and this conditioned reactivity is there in our families, in our education, in our culture, in our political system, in our communities. We're taught how to react, how to respond. But that may not be sufficient for developing and living from a place of an enduring sense of well-being. condition, I would greet them as another human being, as they are another human being, and just connect and say, how's it going? What's up? What do you need? How much do you want? You get some really interesting conversations going when you ask questions like that of homeless people, beggars on the street. How much do you need? Oh, I need two dollars to do my laundry. I need ten dollars for lunch. How about a hundred bucks? You know, and a lot of stories to go with it. What I discovered, even though I would offer, you know, a dollar or two or five, sometimes twenty, never a hundred. What I discovered is the amount of the amount that I offered was not the gift. It was the human connection, the non-judgmental willingness to enter their life right there, no judgment. Being human, that's all. Being human and recognizing the humanity of another being and connecting. Saying to that person in so many words and actions, I see you, and I care about you. I can't fix it for you. I can't solve your problems. I can't make you not be homeless. I can't 
fix your mental disease. I can't do any of that. I'm not a hero. I'm not a miracle worker. Not only do they feel it, I feel it. Who can confront your conditioning? Who can recognize what causes you suffering? Who can do anything about it? All of the qualities of inner beauty are compassionate in that they are responsive to the endless need we all have in being human. Neediness is not bad. It's, well, it's the way it is. We need what we need. Those who can meet it, those who can offer it, without judgment, willingly, responsively, rather than reactively. Good human being. The third characteristic of all of these qualities of inner beauty is that they are uh, skillful or creatively responsive. There is no formula sense of well-being. I have no formula. We're not going to give you a formula this week. This week. There's no five-point plan, ten-point plan, eight-point plan, you know, 31 steps. There's no seven qualities of good leaders. There's no five. There's no, nothing. There's like this moment and your response or reaction to it. we really see this moment as it is and out of clarity of seeing and out of the compassion to respond to some level of suffering can we willingly just find a way to respond without entangling ourselves in is it right is it wrong should I shouldn't I how much does it cost can I do it again everybody should do it Without getting caught in any of those stories, can we just respond? Kamala and I were in Burma earlier this year, and we were going around looking at, well, different uh, conditions of suffering, really, and seeing how we could respond. And we built some schools, and we built some nunneries, and we took care of some orphans, and offered a lot of gifts to one sort or another to different people. And at the one of the last days we were there, some friends wanted to take us to, to meet a nun that they knew. So we said, okay, we went. So they took us into this slum in northern Rangoon. Uh, northern Rangoon and uh, down these alleyways that were just teeming with poverty and people. Tremendous. And we got to this little shack, this little plot of land that's not very big, a little bit bigger in this room. 
and it was a nunnery. And we were told that this nunnery had uh, 20, 23, 25 nuns, little nuns in it. Most of them were probably orphans. And there was one senior nun there who was the, the abbess of this place. And she noticed three, year, three years earlier, she noticed that there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood that didn't go to school. A lot of kids in Burma don't go to school. They don't have clothes. They can't afford the, the nominal fees for the free education. They don't, have, they don't have enough clothes to go to school. They can't afford any books, pens, pencils. So she said, oh, well, here's the nunnery and here's the kids. So she started a school. And in the first year, 75 kids came. So she got some other nuns that had some education to teach them what they could. Second year, 175 kids came. Well, had to expand, put up some plastic sheets and get a couple of blackboards and try to do as best they could. Third year, 375 kids came. She doesn't have any funding. She doesn't have any grand plan. She doesn't have any, doesn't have any magic. She's not blaming anybody. She's not depending on anybody. She's responding in the most creative way she can making a space, getting some other nuns that know something to teach these kids what they can. There's no resolution. There's no solution. The kids are still in poverty. They still can't afford clothes. But they're getting an education. She's doing what she can to, to, to help, well, obvious suffering. So we offer her some support, too. Just even though we'd really like to be able to buy her a plot of land and build her a school and hire the teachers and give all the kids uniforms. Well, we don't have that capacity. And yet, there's still a way to respond out of connecting, sincerity, with whatever creativity and resources you have. And that's where the feeling of a sense of well-being comes from. You do what you can with the resources at hand. Without thinking it should be otherwise or better or, or demanding it of others or expecting anything. Just do what you can. And then you see that it's really the, the willingness to be human, to connect with another human, to respond to their needs as best you can. And it's so satisfying. It's so rewarding. It's so ennobling. skillful, ennobling qualities of, of heart, qualities of mind, lie as a dormant potential within us. And even though we all are, at times, kind and generous and truthful and responsive and creative, we get caught in ourselves a lot. So this week we'll be taking the opportunity to see where we get caught, feel how much suffering that is, and see if there's another way to respond to the situation. It takes awareness. It takes a willingness to acknowledge this is the way it is for me for now. 
And that's really the direction, that's the thrust, that's the goal of practice is to see how it is for me for now in the body in the mind in the environment this is the way it is and then the corollary second question is is this okay can I deal with this can I respond to this situation whether it's a pain in the knee because you've been sitting still for 20 minutes, or it's being served food that you're allergic to and have preference to have something else otherwise, or having to wake up earlier than you usually do, what time is it going to be on the schedule? Or just living a life of routine as we will be here. You know, we all like our freedom, and routine is not that. of opportunity to see our conditioning and to work with it, to see if there's a way to uh, respond coming from a place of confidence, creativity, energy, integrity, and to really stabilize uh, a life and a sense of well-being. beauty so that we can all be responsive, skillful, compassionate, ennobled, and ennobling human beings.